Hey y'all, this is Gary Meese with the case against. We're uh, surveying the case of the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miskelly Jr. Uh, they murdered three little boys, Michael Moore, Christopher Byers, and Stevie Branch on May 5th, 1993 in a wooded area close to their homes in West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, we're going to be talking today about one of the more significant things that, that came out during the, the trial uh, of uh, Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin. And you can watch four documentaries and you'll find virtually not, virtually nothing or, or I don't recall anything about it, but maybe there's a brief mention someplace of those four documentaries about Damien Eccles' mental illnesses and the problems he had experienced over the year before the uh, killings. Uh, Mara Leverett in her book Devil's Knot does give a little bit of space to what we're going to be talking about today, but she spends far more time uh, looking at uh, John Mark Byers' uh, absolutely irrelevant divorce, divorce problems from <laughs> before he was married to Melissa. Uh, just part of an unethical, irresponsible downright stupid smear job on her part. Anyway, this is from my book, uh, Where the Monsters Go. I have another book in a two-volume set. The first volume is called Blood on Black, and I have a combined, revised, condensed version called The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers. All three books are available on Amazon in Kindle and in print format. And uh, we'll just dr drop right into it. Though so Eccles was known by local law enforcement to be dangerously mentally ill, the extensive documentation on his mental, mental illnesses largely became public through his defense team. The information was drawn from what became known as Exhibit 500. And that was a dossier of psychiatric records compiled by Inquisitor Incorporated. Now Inquisitor Incorporated was the private investigation company from Memphis owned by Ron Lax that offered its services to the defense shortly after the rest. Now, you know, out of the goodness of his heart, uh, Lax uh, volunteered his services, but you know, then out of the goodness of his heart, he also sent a bill to the court to get paid for his efforts. Uh, records show that the Eccles family on May 7th, 1992, and I'm pointing out that the, uh, the killings occurred on May 5th, 1993, so we're talking about a series of events in starting initially here uh, exactly a year before that precipitated the events that occurred a year later with the killing of the three boys in the woods. 
and my contention is is the, these are <laughs> you'll hear arguments that people say well just because he was mentally ill doesn't mean he killed anybody you know technically that's all true just because he had a homicidal impulses doesn't mean he killed anybody that alone there's people who have homicidal impulses who don't kill people but the fact is is that if you're predisposed to violent behavior you're more likely to be violent and uh, when we're talking about uh, a killing of this sort uh, one that makes on the face of it no obvious sense obviously there's a, a reason for almost any killing has some reason behind it uh, may not be something that's necessarily logical it's certainly rarely a good reason but uh, there's almost always some sort of reason behind uh, a killing people just don't kill just sort of arbitrarily with with uh, no impetus whatsoever anyway the records show that the Eccles family Damien Eccles family on May 7, 1992 was referred for treatment based on a report alleging that Damien's stepfather Andy Jack Eccles sexually abused Damien's sister uh, Constance Michelle Eccles also known as generally as Michelle And then we find that on June 1st, 1992, uh, Damien was referred to Charter Hospital in Little Rock following charges of burglary, terroristic threatening, and sexual misconduct. Okay. Then we also find out that he was admitted to St. Vincent's Hospital in Portland, Oregon on September 2nd, 1992 due to concerns that he was suicidal he was threatening his family, he was using drugs, and he was involved in Satanism. It's not me saying this, this is his family saying this. Despite what they may say in filmed interviews. Uh, and, you know, uh, Pam uh, Hutchison, or P Pamela Metcalf is how she's known now. Um, Pam Eccles, Pam Hutchison, Pam Metcalf. Yeah, uh, she will state that you know that he was a good kid and all this, and uh, the records show that she just simply is lying. Which she's the family is just notorious for just making stuff up. Uh, Eccles picked it up from his mother and has no problem spouting off lies, and she has no problem with it. They're not educated. In that family, but they're not stupid. Uh, after his trip to St. Vincent's in Portland, he was sent back to Arkansas because his family did not want him to live with them. And then on September 10th, 1992, he was referred, referred again to Charter because he sucked the blood of a boy at a detention center. He was re readmitted to charter on September 14th after violating his probation. Uh, then he was discharged to live with his stepfather with follow-up scheduled at the local mental health center. 
The local mental health center reopened his case on June 5th, 1993, and he had sessions on January 13th, January 19th, January 25th, and February 5th with a physician's progress report issued on May 5th, 1993, which was the day of the murders. Now, in his book, Life After Death, Eccles made light of the exhaustive documentation concerning his three 1992 psychiatric hospitalizations, his outpatient counseling, and his application for Social Security disability based on mental illness. He mentioned almost in passing that the only act of violence he supposedly ever committed, making it sound like a typical high school scrap between feuding boyfriends instead of an attempt to scratch out his rival's eyes with long, vampire-like fingernails filed to a point. Now, you know, Eccles has serious credibility problems. He, for example, in an autobiography with several chapters devoted to the alleged horrors of the Arkansas prison system, and I'm sure it's not a great place to be, Eccles made no mention of his allegations that he was raped by Mark Edward Gardner, another death row inmate who has since been executed. Eccles has claimed he was raped and repeatedly beaten by guards. Investigation of those allegations came up empty. And, you know, and concerning the, the Gardner allegations, he's, not, he's never asked about that. He hasn't brought it up in a long time. And apparently this was some sort of scheme he had concocted to embarrass the officials in... Arkansas by claiming that by removing this that they were able to have these this sexual relationship and through by taking out uh, a block of concrete between their walls it's not really clear how Eccles could be raped when there was a concrete wall between them with with only uh, Know, a cement block out. I mean, it's not as if the guy was going to reach around and, well, let's stay away from reach arounds in this context, but the guy was going to somehow get a hold of him and, you know, uh, rape him. In other words, there was had to have been some sort of consensual element to this, however much fear he was put into. And since he's claiming he, you know, had this basically no... Uh, I wasn't going to say intercourse, but that's not the right word. <laughs> no contact with other people all this time. He's complaining constantly about his time in solitary confinement. It's really very questionable how much contact he would have had with uh, Mark Gardner. Now, concerning the mental health files... Eccles told a whopper of a lie to Brian Telerico for HollywoodChicago.com, which was published on June, January 15th, 19, I mean, not 19, 2013. Eccles says Jason's 
lawyers, their entire agenda was to make me look as guilty as possible, thinking somehow it was going to help him. The number one thing that people quote is Exhibit 500, a mental health report that comes from the fact that one day Jason's attorneys contacted me and said they had this idea that would be really helpful and great. I was naive. It was years ago. Okay, sure, let's do it. This woman comes up and writes up this report that diagnoses me with every single mental illness known to mankind. She can't even file it herself because she's already perjured herself, so she takes it to another doctor to file. The number one piece of evidence that people try to, that you, people used to try and hurt me wasn't even filed by the state. It was filed by Jason Baldwin's attorneys. Okay, that's probably back when Jason and Damien weren't really getting along too well and there's some of the uh, allegations are flying back and forth. Um, there's no, all the evidence shows that everything that Eccles said in that statement is a lie. Baldwin's attorneys were advocates for Baldwin, agreed, and they weren't happy with their case being attached to Damien Eccles' case, agreed. But in point of fact, they did very little to try to do anything except just simply take the heat as much as possible off uh, Jason Baldwin. Uh, there would have been no benefit to them to try to make Damien look guilty at the expense of, at, at, to somehow benefit their own client because the guiltier Damien looked, the guiltier Jason looked. Um, the, he makes it sound as if this one woman, he doesn't name her, We'll get into that. This one woman comes up with, file, does all this work on this mental health report herself and gets somebody else to file it. In fact, the reports in Exhibit 500 come from a number of mental health professionals, from the mental health center, and from the three mental, uh, the three hospitalizations. Uh, there's no way that a single person from Inquisitor was going to make this up and have it pass muster. It's the, the whole allegation is ridiculous. And it's very typical of Eccles to make up this kind of outrageous lie and everybody just lets it roll over and say, oh, well, yeah, okay, whatever you say, Damien. Now, it's true that the number one piece of evidence after he'd been convicted wasn't filed by the state, but it was offered up by... Damien Eccles' defense team. This was an unforced error. Eccles' own people got this into the record. Uh, just a brief note that aside, uh, sometimes Eccles says that his love of Aleister Crowley is what convicted him, and sometimes it's this mental health record. And I'm sure if I dig, we dig around, we can find him blaming something else. But the truth is, is Damien Eccles was his own worst enemy, and he did as much as anybody to convict himself with his statements to police and his foolish uh, desire to testify in his own behalf. 
and made himself look very, very guilty in, in both those instances. But he, you know, he was arrogant, mentally ill, according to his own own words, as we'll get into, he's a sociopath. Who knows what other kind of pathologies are lurking around there? Uh, so he's not going to be, you know, he's he's the enemy of everything, including himself, making him a you know, sort of a perfect Luciferian uh, figure, utter defiance of everything that goes on, the whole world, and everything in it, including himself. Now, Gory Shettles is probably the woman he's referring to when he refers back into this uh, uh, this woman that supposedly did all this work. Gory Shettles was an employee of Inquisitor Incorporated and they were working closely with the Eccles team and she compiled the records into one large file to show mitigating factors if Eccles was found guilty. This was presented during the uh, sentencing phase of the trial. It's a bifurcated trial set up so that they first they determine first they determine guilt and then they determine punishment. So in this there's a sense here and that's somewhat true and that one woman did compile all these records. But she didn't make it all up. Far from it. Baldwin's Eccles had Baldwin's attorneys had little or nothing to do with the report. They didn't file it. They never employed Inquisitor, which was a detective agency whose founder had focused immediately on Eccles as a suspect most likely to receive the death penalty. You know, Ron Lax was highly motivated by the fact that uh, he thought that Eccles might receive a death penalty, and that was the case, that was the impetus for a lot of his involvement, though he didn't mind getting paid for his work as well. Now, the ever-paranoid Eccles had written his family that, quote, I don't think Ron believes I'm telling the truth. Jason's lawyers said they believe he is innocent, but they think I'm guilty. Yeah. Eccles might be right there. Psychologist James Moneypenny, who examined Eccles and reviewed the records, took the stand on March 19, 1994, with files in hand. Exhibit 500, and it was called this because of its 509 pages, was intended to shed light on Eccles' mental health problems to gain sympathy from the jury. Instead, the files helped fill out the picture of a young monster in the making, literally thirsty for blood. Jurors quickly got a taste of Eccles' bizarre thought processes as Money Penny read. Reports he th that he thinks a lot about life after death. Quote, I want to go where the monsters go, end quote. And that's the genesis of the title of the book. Eccles wanted to go where the monsters go, and everywhere he goes, there goes a monster. They heard about his practice of drinking blood to obtain power. Money Penny continued, quote, I just put it all inside, end quote, describes this as more than just anger like rage. Sometimes he does, quote, blow up and, 
end quote, relates when this happens, the only solution is to hurt someone. That's in quotes. Meanwhile, in letters, notes to himself, <coughs> in communications with mental health examiners, Eccles had continued to document his own self-perception as the new messiah, the king of the freaks, the god of the new aeon, the beast of the apocalypse, named Baal-Bareth, the name of a Canaanite god in the book of Judges. In this, Eccles emulated his lifelong role model, Aleister Crowley, who referred to himself as Baphomet or the Beast and claimed that a disembodied spirit had revealed to him that he was prophet of a new era, the Aeon of Horus. As Money Penny's testimony continued, uh, Assistant Prosecutor John Fogelman asked that the full dossier be submitted as evidence. Val Price, uh, Eccles' defense lawyer, offered no objection. In 2011, asked by the commercial appeal if Eccles was innocent, Price responded, quote, it's hard to say, end quote. Yeah, it's hard to say because your client, you knew your client was guilty. Uh, the woman, the woman back, the woman that Eccles mentioned, the single woman that compiled all this, did not diagnose with Eccles with, quote, every single mental illness known to mankind. And that's because that was Eccles' own self-diagnosis. Eccles claimed in filing for Social Security benefits in February 1993 that he was, quote, homicidal, suicidal, manic depression, schizophrenia, sociopathic. He told a Social Security employee that he was a sociopath. No, there's much more to the Exhibit 500. And uh, we get into that elsewhere in the book, but that's it for right now. How many minutes am I into this? 22 minutes. I'm going to go on and read some more and talk about this. And this would be a chapter called, I heard Damien say, I killed the three little boys and before I turn myself in, I'm going to kill two more and I already had one picked out. Besides confessing to acquaintances, Damien Eccles was heard publicly bragging about killing the three boys. The incident at a softball field in West Memphis was described by two girls who testified against him. Eccles told a Jonesboro, Arkansas newspaper in a series of interviews in 2010 that their testimony was key to the prosecution. In other words, here's another key to the prosecution. You know... Uh, there were a number of things that were important to the prosecution and uh, as we've already mentioned but you know it's not as if they had people say no evidence well they had evidence they, they weren't convicted on no evidence they weren't even convicted on no physical evidence which is 
much you'll often hear. Very little physical evidence, yes. Not really particularly strong physical evidence, that's true. Nobody was going to get convicted on physical evidence in this case unless, 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 unless they somehow came up with it. You know, an amazing DNA match of some sort. And it, had, it did not happen. And despite what Bob Ruff says, it's not going to happen. Anyway, uh, Baldwin's girlfriend, Heather Dawn Quiet, was at the scene uh, of this public bragging. And in a 2008 affidavit explained the circumstances. She said, I was playing in a softball game on the day that Damien Eccles showed up with Jason and some of the kids in the crowd at the game started shouting at Damien. They were saying things to him about having killed kids and he was saying things back to the people in the crowd. It was typical of Damien and it was clear to me that he was calling attention to himself. Since I knew I had been on the phone with him the night of the killings, I did not believe that he had anything to do with the situation. Now, just as an aside, she, her statements about the phone calls uh, on May 5th, 1993 to Damien, even in those phone calls, she offers no alibi to the alleged phone calls, offers no alibi to Damien. She's talking about, she actually makes it easier for Damien to have been on the, uh, be, been, uh, on the side of the road at 9.30 p.m. when the Hollingsworth clan drove by and saw him at 9.30 because she said that the phone call that she made with Jennifer Bearden was probably after 10. In other words, it was much later. He had time to get home and then make these phone calls. So if it, 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 no statement from Heather Client ever helped Damien Eccles truth is, is most of it made him look more guilty, but she was not perceptive enough to see that. I will say that, you know, I contacted Heather Quiet. I contacted a number of people for comments about this case. I rarely got anything back. Heather Quiet threatened to sue me and said she's going to stop publication, etc., etc. And the truth is, is all I've ever done was just quote what's in the public record court file. She has no basis for filing a suit, and the fact that she says these utterly ridiculous things is you know, too bad. Shouldn't have said them. Uh, Heather Clyde added, I was surprised when I later found out that some girls who I knew were at the game claimed Damien had said something about having killed children, or words to that effect. The girls who reported these things did not know either Damien or J Jason the way I knew them. Now, Clyde didn't deny that Eccles made incriminating statements. She confirms that Eccles was saying things back to people in the crowd. Now, just what were those things? She doesn't say. At trial, Eccles denied bragging about the murders. I was there with a bunch of people, but we never discussed the murders, he testified in 1994. In other words, he confirms he was there at the softball game. He said he attended only one game. The witnesses said he had been at the games on consecutive nights and at other times. 
Beckles admitted he would, quote, kind of stand out in a crowd, unquote, and said that Baldwin was there along with, quote, some people that I knew. He wore, quote, the big black coat and long black hair at night. On the February 27, 2010 episode of 48 Hours on CBS, Eccles recalled, I walked into a softball game. I went around the concession stand and I heard people saying, there he is, that's him. Now, Eccles goes on to typically spin out a new spin on this story. I don't remember saying that at the time because to me, it I didn't actually do it. It would have been like a joke. Now, CBS correspondent Aaron Moriarty, who's an unabashed advocate for the West Memphis Three, said, Help me understand why you would think that's a joke back then. Eccles replied, It's the person I was, and it's the way I thought at that time in my life, and I, I, I can't make excuses for it. In other words, he now he said he did it, he just... He just uh, did it unwisely. And similarly, he told George Jarrett of the Jonesboro Sun in 2010, quote, I might have said it, but it wasn't because I did it. I was a teenager. People were saying a lot of stuff about me, but I might have said it joking around. So instead of sticking to his story, Eccles ended up making excuses for statements that he had testified he had never made. Baldwin's 2008 habeas corpus petition similarly made light of Eccles' comments and complained not that Eccles had not made them, but the context, comments had been taken out of context. One of the softball, so-called softball girls, Jody Medford, who lived in nearby Crawfordsville, gave a handwritten statement to police on June 11, 1993. Uh, I was about two weeks ago. I was at the girls' club softball field, and I heard Damien say, "I killed the three little boys. Before I turn myself in, I'm going to kill two more." And I already had one picked out. I overheard him say this to a group of people when I was walking by him. I don't know him. I just know of him. And Jason Baldwin and his girlfriend Heather were standing by him. I was with my sister Jackie and her friend Christy Van Vickle. That was the first time I had ever seen Damien, and the next night he was there too. Jody told police that she was at the J.W. Rich Girls Club field when she overheard Eccles boast to five or six people, none of whom she recognized. She thought these incidents occurred Monday and Tuesday, May 24th, 25th. 10-year-old Jackie Medford also gave a handwritten statement on June 11th. Two weeks ago, I heard Damien say that he killed the three little boys. We were at the girls' club, and he was with several people around them. him. I do not know who all of these people were. I was with my best friend Christy and my sister Jody. Uh, Jessica Medford, 12, wrote, I was at the girls' club about two weeks ago. I was sitting with my mom. I heard him say that he did kill the three boys. My cousin asked him. I heard her voice and turned around. I then heard him say it after she asked him. My cousin, Katie Hendricks, and he is Damien. There was another boy with him, but I don't know who it was. Their mother, Donna Medford, gave a handwritten statement on June 7th. 
The week of May 24th, when my two girls, Jody and Jackie Medford and Christy Van Veekel, got in the car, they all started talking at once, telling me about what the weird black-haired boy had said that night. They all said they heard him say that he killed those three little boys. Jody said she heard him say he had killed the three boys and before he got caught or turned himself in, he was going to kill two more and already had one picked out. I told them he was just nuts and to stay away from him. Katie Hendricks was also with me that night and repeated the same story. She also told me he had said he was going to bite her titties off. When he left, she yelled, Did you really kill those three boys? And he yelled, Yes. Now, Mrs. Medford first reported the incident to the director of the girls' club after her daughter saw on TV that, quote, the boy that said that at the girls' club, unquote, had been arrested. Donna Medford repeated the essential facts and testimony at trial and in a declaration on October 4, 2011, adding, When I heard the description of Mr. Eccles' statement during the drive, I told the girls to forget about it. I recall that at the time I did not believe it possible that Damien was actually confessing to the crime in front of so many people, but was instead simply trying to draw attention to himself. It was for that reason that I did not report the girl's statement to anyone else until I learned from television reports that Mr. Eccles had been arrested. Christy Van Vickel, 11, of Crawfordsville, also gave a handwritten statement on June 11th. Two weeks ago, I was at the girls' club with Jackie Medford. I passed by, and Damien Eccles and Jason Baldwin were talking to a bunch of people. He wasn't talking to me. I heard him say that he killed the three boys. It scared me, so I walked away. I didn't hear him say anything else. I told my mom what I had heard. Testimony from Jody and Donna Medford and Christy Van Vickle wrapped up the prosecution's case against Eccles and Baldwin on March 9, 1994. Uh, Christy, who had since turned 12, admitted to being nervous on the stand. She repeated the story, saying she was walking back from the concession stand when she heard Eccles say he had killed the three boys before, quote, a whole crowd of people. Unquote. She was 15 or 20 feet away. Jody testified, I heard Damien Eccles say that he killed the three little boys and before he turned himself in that he was going to kill two more and he already had one of them picked out. Uh, she had been walking from the concession stand when she heard the comment. Quote, I was just walking around the corner going to go talk to some of my friends and I saw him and I heard him. Unquote. While the prosecution said in its closing statement that Eccles had been boasting to his little groupies, more recent comments from Heather Klein and Eccles indicated that the crowd was making hostile comments, prompting Eccles to respond. Eccles had become a lightning rod of controversy at the time of the game. Jody testified she had heard people talking about Eccles. David, Scott Davidson asked, did you think did you think he was weird or kind of weird or something? Jody answered, "Yes, sir, because he was dressed all in black and his hair was jet black and long and shaved on the side." In his closing statement, Deputy Prosecuting Attorney John Fogelman urged the jury, "Now you got Jody Medford and Christy Van Vickles, two kids who were just at the softball field having a good time. This is in May." 
later part of May, and what, what does Christy hear as she's going by? She hears this defendant, Damien Eccles, say, I killed those three boys, and she gets out of there. Jody, who's walking in a different area, hears him say the first part, just like Christy did, and then she hears him say, and I'm going to kill two more before I turn myself in, and I've already got one picked out. But this defendant says this, and you might ask yourself, well, now wait a minute, we've got a crime scene that's clean, the killers were very meticulous about removing any evidence, hiding the bicycles, hiding the clothes, hiding the bodies. Why would he stand out there and tell everybody? Well, number one, who was he telling? He was telling the group of six or seven of his little groupies that followed him around. Remember, he says he dresses that way and everything to keep people away from him. But everywhere you look, he's got little groupies hanging around him now. And you say, well, still, why would he say that? Well, remember when Mr. Davis was examining him about this manic depressive situation? And in the manic phase, you feel invincible. Nobody can touch you. I submit, ladies and gentlemen, that in that manic phase, feeling invincible, he didn't care what he said, why he'd already been questioned by the police two or three times. They couldn't touch him. They couldn't touch him, and he didn't care. Just like he told the police, the killer didn't care. And that's the end of Fogelman's statement. The Medfords and Christy Van Vickle weren't the only ones who heard Eccles boast. Following up on leads, Detective Ridge contacted several West Memphis girls. An undated note stated that Richard and Ma- Rachel Myers had heard that Shelley Wolf had heard Eccles admitting calling the boys, killing, Ma- admitted killing the boys, with talk of killing more, supposedly in the presence of Baldwin. Uh, on June 11, 1993, Ridge talked with Shelley, who had not heard the statement, but had heard about it from her friend, Shannon Bowles. In other words, a lot of this stuff did get to be second and third hand. Katie LaFoy, you can imagine with particularly preteen girls, uh, and there's a suppose there's a, been a killing in the, the town, and then this weird, older, slightly older guy shows up and brags about it at a softball game. Are they going to be talking about it? You can bet. Katie LaFoy, who was visiting Shelley, told Ridge that he or she had heard part of what Eccles said. Ridge wrote, she said that she didn't hear the first part of the statement made by Damien, but that she did hear him say, yeah, I'm going to do it to some more people too. She stated she could hear enough of the conversation that she knew they were talking about the murders of the three boys. <coughs> she also heard Damien say that the person that he was talking to had better not say anything to anybody or that he would see what was coming next. Interesting, and nobody else brings that up. In other words, Damien was threatening while he was bragging. Katie, 13, gave a written statement. She gave the date of the incident as Tuesday, June 1st, 1993, uh, which would have been just 10 days before her interview. But she added that... uh, when all the other accounts of this have somewhat earlier... She added that, quote, Jason Baldwin was with Damien at the ballpark when Damien made the statement. Other youngsters at the ballpark asserted that Eccles was there and made incriminating statements. None was called as a witness. 
Their stories took on a circular pattern with the actual source who heard Eccles remaining unclear. Michelle Carter of West Memphis gave a handwritten statement on June 9th to Officer Diane Hester. About two weeks ago at my ball game at the girls club, I was told by Shannon Bowles from Marion that there was a boy named Damien that said he killed the boys and he didn't cut their thing off, he bit it off. Shannon showed him to me and pointed him out to me. Shelly Wolf from Marion also told me that she cut herself one day and he asked her if he could suck her blood. Later on, more of my friends, Tara Couples, Corey Catt, and Shannon Bowles were standing in front of me and standing with me in front of the concession and we decided to go over and sit with her brother, Trey Bowles, and a bunch of his friends. We all sat down and as we sat behind the bleachers, we saw Damien sitting beside us. We tried not to look at him, so we moved over a little bit. He never talked to me except he asked who we were. I told him Michelle Carter. He never said another word to me. Corey Cad and Tara Couples left, and it was me, Shannon Bowles, and Trey Bowles sitting on the grass still, and I just happened to hear Damien say something about him and the devil, so I decided to get up. Right before my game started, Shannon Bowles also told me that she he wanted to kill two more people, and he knew one of them was his ex-girlfriend, which would have been Deanna Holcomb. Shannon Bowles said her brother, Trey Bowles, knew more and that it was his friend Sean, something that told him, I think that was his name. I never saw him after that. You can see why they, they didn't have these people, these girls testify. Uh, but it does build the case. All this talk does build the case that there was, there, you know, the old thing, well, there's smoke, there's fire. Well, he said something. He said something incriminating at the ball game. Shannon Lee Bowles, 14, of Marion, told Bill Durham, Detective Bill Durham, on September 7th, around May 21st, 1993, 6.30 or 7, written above the line, I was at the girls' club in West Memphis at my softball game, and this girl named Michelle Carter told me that Damien Eccles came up to her and said that he killed those boys, and I just said, really? And she said, yes. Then I got questioned by my Aunt Diane. Then she called Michelle, and Michelle called me and asked me if I was questioned. Then I was never called or talked to by the police since then. September 7, 1993, I was questioned again. Shannon gave Michelle as the source of the statement, while Michelle cited Saint Shannon as the source. Shannon's brother, John Dudley Trey Bowles III, 15, also gave a handwritten statement. Around the last of May, I was over at my friend's house in Belvedere. His name was David Smith, and a guy named Shannon Way came over. We just got through watching the news about the killings, and Shannon Way said he had heard Damien Eccles bragging about, he said he had heard Damien Eccles bragging about killing those three boys, and that was around... 5.30 in the afternoon. Then we went to the girls' club at 6, and we see Damien and Jason Baldwin up there. If Trey had more knowledge about what transpired, it was not in his statement. In the rebuttal portion of the Eccles-Baldwin trial, Peggy Simmons, director from the J.W. Rich Girls' Club, which is a youth association for young girls in West Memphis, testified that she saw Eccles at the ball field on at least three occasions, rebuffing his claim that he only attended one game. She said she saw Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Kelly there 
and Miskelly suddenly pops up in this too on May 27th and Eccles and Baldwin again on May 28th and Eccles and Baldwin, Eccles and Baldwin again on June 1st, which is the, would have been the day following Memorial Day. Simmons eventually testified to seeing Eccles at the field four times, the last being on June 3rd, which was the night he was arrested. And to be clear, he, they were arrested later in the evening, so yeah, he could have been at the ball field. I don't know if he was there. I, mean, this, I think this is the only instance where this comes up, and it's not highly relevant where he went the day of June 3rd, but... Uh, you know she's the she's the adult she's the director and uh, she has no particular she has no incentive to lie on this she never saw Damien Eccles all she had to do was say I, I just never saw him instead she says she saw him there four times which doesn't it seems credible the um, <coughs> the girls club fields aren't that far from um, Lakeshore, which is where Damien and Jason were basically most of the time. Uh, I'm, I'm sure J Jason went over to Damien's house occasionally, but Eccles had much more reason to be over at Lakeshore because he had Jason there and his girlfriend and a lot of his friends there. I'm not sure what he had going on at Broadway Trailer Park. His family had just moved in there a few months before. He wasn't staying there a lot of the time. He really didn't have any deep roots over there. I, I don't know what the demographics of that neighborhood were at that time, but it's almost exclusively black now. Uh, in a June note for investigators, Simmons wrote... Did I say this right? In a June 8th note for investigators, Simmons wrote, quote, the mother of Jackie Medford approached me and told me that Damien had been up there bragging about killing the three boys and that he was going to kill two more and already had one staked out. J Jackie Medford was standing by her mother when she was telling me this. She had been alerted to Eccles and Baldwin by the girls. They were coming in the game. I stayed out there with the girls because they were scared, testified Simmons. Now, David Pike, a vice president at the Bank of West Memphis, gave a handwritten statement on June 8th. On June 3rd, 1993, I was at the J.W. Rich Girls Club about 7.15 and ejected three white males for causing a disturbance. Two teenage boys were fighting and I asked them to leave. The third teenager began to protest my asking them to leave and I also asked him to leave the property. I was told his last name was Eccles. When pictures appeared in the Evening Times, it resembled the boy I ejected the night before. One girl on my ball team, Julian Duncan, daughter of Sherry and John, not Duncan, but Deacon, uh, daughter of Sherry and John Deacon, was said to have heard the boy make a remark concerning something he did and that he was going to hurt someone again. See, this keeps coming up over and over. And, of course, it's always, it's often, not always secondhand. The Medford girls heard this, and Christy Van Vickle did, but other girls heard about it. Uh, are they, also on June 8th, 
officers talked to Sherry Deacon, mother of Julian Deacon, who was eight, and Jenny Deacon, who was 13. Jenny Deacon stated that on June 1st, of, on a Tuesday evening, that she was at the J.W. Ridge Club. She was at the J.W. Ridge Girls Club and that she saw a guy they called Damien up there, the one who had been arrested, and that she was told by her friend, Rachel Myers, 14 years old, that Rachel, Rachel Myers had overheard Damien brag about killing the three little boys and wanted to kill two more. And that was the only information she knew. Mother's Sherry Lynn Deacon stated that at her daughter, Jenny Deacon, came home after the game and told her this. Jenny Deacon had no first-hand knowledge of Eccles' statement. According to the book Devil's Not, investigators for the defense told Eccles about the softball girls prior to the trial. He had, quote, admitted that prior to his arrest, he had made remarks to various persons when asked about the murders that might be misconstrued. He stated he did not make any remarks in a serious nature, although some of his comments could have been misconstrued. When lead investigator Ron Lax attempted to talk to Eccles about those remarks, according to Devil's Knot, Ron, uh, he does not answer, but merely sits there and stares. And the bottom line with all this is obviously Damien Eccles made these incriminating statements, which really amount to confessions at this softball game in the interim between the murders and his arrest. If you want to draw the conclusion that he's just a foolish youth, foolishly bragging about being involved in some killings, but you know he really wasn't and he didn't mean it and he's just trying to provoke, get a response, either get some attention or he's speaking in anger or you know whatever the various motivations involved. Me, he may have been taking, been stating it as a point of pride. I wouldn't put it past him. However, however you want to cast any of that and spin any of that, the fact is, is he made these statements. They were incriminating. They amounted to confessions. They were at trial. They were brought forth at trial, and they helped convict Damien Eccles. Not the best evidence in the world, but evidence and evidence he brought on by himself because he couldn't stop himself from taking pride in his, his so-called accomplishments of killing three innocent little boys. And of course he lies about it afterwards. Okay, that's enough for today. Uh, hope you, hope everyone stays well. I've still got the coronavirus going around. A lot of other things going on in the world, but I'll uh, just I'm not going to be making any remarks about any of that on this podcast. I'm trying to stick to the subject involved. Uh, I'll talk to you again soon.